Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, November the 19th, 2021. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are talking about the biggest obstacles holding you back from reaching your health and fitness goals. These are questions taken directly from all of you uh, via Instagram email, Facebook, YouTube, and the website. We posted a question the other day on Instagram, literally asking what is the biggest obstacle holding you back? Be specific and drop your comment below. And I believe on Instagram alone, there's like 300. And uh, luckily, a lot of you said uh, the same things or very similar things, so we can tackle them. Hopefully all in this episode. Admittedly, it is Almost 4 o'clock on a Friday, and I just did this terrible uh, lower body workout, and uh, I thought I would be fine, but uh, I'm on the struggle bus uh, at the moment. I had to change of clothes, so I'm not in a wet diaper, but uh, fatigue is is setting in as I'm looking at like the emojis here uh, on the post we made where there's like a pizza, a cake, a whiskey, and cookie. Um, I'm like, I'm craving all that right now, so I can tell I'm already uh, tired and hungry, and soon I'll uh, I'll be hangry. But uh, here we are, and I, I wanted to get it out to you guys today because I have some stuff to do Sunday. Hopefully, another podcast, and we'll get to that uh, when we get there. But we'll talk food, alcohol, cravings, solutions. Hopefully, to help you guys, or at least paint a picture um, of what things could look like, and hopefully give you some hacks, some tips, or maybe at least a plan to move forward to try to uh, kind of get over the hump or blast through all the things that have been holding you back, probably some of your daily habits, rituals, and routines, which we'll go into to great detail about. But before I jump in, again, reminder, the podcast is brought to you by our amazing sponsors, Athletic Greens, number one on the list. You guys already know the one thing I take every single day, the website, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott. We can give you guys a year supply of free vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first order. If you're somebody who struggles to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, all of us do, this would be the one thing I would take. If you're tired of taking 15 different pills, if you take a multivitamin right now, odds are you can throw most of those in the garbage. This would be way better and way easier for you to put into your life than that. We're talking a simple scoop a day or take one of the travel packs, rip it, throw it in some water, shake it, slam it, 75 whole food ingredients with probiotics and digestive enzymes, the antioxidant equivalent to eating 10 to 12 servings of fruits and veggies. And it takes probably, I don't know, 20 seconds to slam it down. And let's be real, we've all drinking much, much worse things than this. And this actually does taste good. It's the best tasting greens on the planet by far. If you want to get hooked up, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott gets you guys all the free stuff. Or if you're on the fence, hit me up and I'll have Monica send you a travel pack right to your front door. You can try it for free and then get hooked up with all of the free stuff. It's a pretty badass offer. We've been doing that for, man, I think at least a year or a year and a half. And if I had to guess, we've sent out at least at least seven or 800 packets of athletic greens all over the world. So I'm happy to do it if it helps you guys be a little bit healthier. And it's always nice to try things out before you buy it. And uh, anybody else doing that on podcasts you listen to? No, but we're crazy here and I want to help you guys. So happy to do it. Also, we're brought to you by my homies at Beam CBD. 
I think right now for the next couple of weeks, they have like the biggest sale uh, on everything on their website. I take the dream product to go to sleep. There's CBD in it. There's no THC. It will not get you high. You will not feel the drug test. It's not habit forming, but it helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. The website is beamtlc.com. I think if you put in the code Jeremy Scott, it'll take off the 40% or hit me guys uh, and I'll give you the link and that'll do it for sure. It's the biggest sale they have uh, all year. It's going on, I think, until December 10th or so. Uh, again, I do take the dream product. We have all the products at our house. Heather does the tincture and the salves. I basically do the dream about six nights a week, helps me fall asleep. I wake up feeling like a badass. If you want a free sample, we have those as well. Otherwise you guys can hit me up for the link or check out the site beamtlc.com and put in the code Jeremy Scott and you are good to go. We're also brought to you by my homies at JLab Pro. Jeremy Scott Fitness dot, excuse me, Jeremy Scott Fitness dot jlabpro.com. This is where we get our protein, our turmeric, our collagen, our krill oils. We have discount codes always on the protein and the collagen. And usually they have a bunch of seasonal sales. So if you guys are interested, hit me up. We use the protein because it's sweetened with stevia. It's easy on the stomach. It's in all the protein shakes and smoothies. Uh, also, we have a free supplement guide and smoothie guide if you guys want that, where you can kind of get all the products listed out into detail as well. And we are brought to you by our friends at Kettle and Fire Bone Broth. Number one, it is the best tasting bone broth by far. Uh, that's why I originally started uh, using it. Heather actually connected with those guys and they became a partner with us in the podcast. I like bone broth because A, it tastes good for one. Um, the protein quality is legit. Uh, the benefits alone for gut health, digestion, joint mobility, hair, skin, and nails, which Lord knows as we get older, we all need. And uh, it's a nice way to break the fast, especially in the colder months. If you guys want to make like your own chicken soup, instead of just chicken broth, you can throw the bone broth in there. You get the aminos, you get the proteins. There's so many more nutrients if you really want to dig down the rabbit hole. And the nice thing is, is these guys do grass-fed, grass-finished beef. That's amazing. Uh, and it's the key. So it's not just grass-fed, it's grass-finished. And there's no additives, preservatives, no antibiotics, no hormones, no bullshit. Uh, if you use the code SCOTT20, you get 20% off all of the Kettle and Fire bone broth. I love the beef and chicken myself. They have a bunch of soups and chilies as well, which we'll talk about. Uh, and again, you guys hit me up. I'll send you the link. Otherwise, go to their website, uh, Kettle and Fire bone broth. The code SCOTT20 for 20% off. We do have a new sponsor coming to the podcast, but I'm not going to talk about it yet because I still have to confirm everything. But I think a lot of you... We'll be very excited about hearing that. Heather is more than jacked, and that's all I'm going to say at the moment. Before I go deep here into the nutrition stuff and, uh, and hopefully kind of answer your questions, I want to read something that Mike Samuel had put out, and it was uh, it's from Jay Leno, and it's just kind of a little story, and uh, it resonated with me, and I think it will also resonate with a lot of you guys. And, and I quote the Mike Samuel share here. Jay Leno presented The Tonight Show for 17 years. And that time his annual salary was between 15 and $30 million. It's a lot of cheese, man. But he didn't spend a single penny of it. In fact, according to Leno, all the cash is still in the bank. Why, you ask? Well, in his words, and I quote, I wanted to stay hungry, end quote. You see, Leno was still a working comic, and he knew that if he allowed himself to spend his main salary, he'd stop working so hard to try to get people to laugh. 
he would have lost that hustle mindset. And he prided himself on his work ethic, committing to 150 comedy gigs a year in order to fund his lifestyle. I heard this while listening to Jay being interviewed by Adam Carolla this week, and it was immediately blown away by all this. Here was a dude who could literally work a couple years and then never do anything again the rest of his life, or live solely off the interest and spent his days just chilling, boozing, and laying around. And don't get me wrong, he's still obviously mega rich. He's Jay fucking Leno, right? But it makes you think. See, in my mind, Leno didn't have this mindset because he was successful. He was successful because he had this mindset. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot to be said for delayed gratification. And there's a lot to be said for living inside your means or below your means. And there's even more to be said by forcing yourself to stay hungry. And really, it's a, it's a way to humble yourself. In an age where most celebrities are a little more than, you know, memes of themselves or, you know, champagne socialists preaching to us about, you know, all the crazy things of, you know, climate change and privilege while living in their mansions and flying private jets. Jay Leno is a guy that actually walks the walk, man. Uh, He's not just bullshitting. And uh, that's somebody I have a lot of respect for. And it, it, it popped in my mind for a handful of reasons. One, I threw something up on Instagram the other day that I read and it hit home with me because it's the way that I've lived my life for a long time and it's the way that I think about the world. And the quote was, a fancy car and a big expensive house are the old status symbols. The ultimate flex is freedom. Time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. And I'd personally throw in their health freedom as well. And again, I'm, I'm not against owning fancy things. I like nice stuff as much as the next guy. But I am against fancy things owning you. If you can afford to ball out and drive a Maybach and live in a $10 million house, by all means do it. If you worked hard, respect. You should enjoy the fruits of your labor. You should treat yourself. You should have fun. But if these purchases are stressing you out, maybe think about it again, right? In my opinion, when you buy things, they should add value to your life, not stress to your life. They should be blessings, not curses, if you will. Freedom to me in all forms is it really is the ultimate flex. And again, that's not for me to get in a soapbox and, and talk about, you know, you shouldn't buy nice things because if you can afford it, and that's the key word, if you can afford it stress-free, you deserve it. But there is something when you do delay gratification. That's what that's what fitness is. You're doing something today that's going to pay off three months, six months, three years, or six years from now. There is something to be said about humbling yourself and forcing yourself to be hungry and still be in the game uh, that keeps things moving. And I do think he was successful because he had that mindset. And I like to think in some small way I do the same things here. And a lot of you listening probably do as well. If you guys are fit, you do it. If you're financially in a good place, you do it. If you've become educated, if you know you are an awesome parent, if you have found success in anything, it's because of the work you did when nobody was watching. 
It's the work you did where you didn't get a high five. You didn't get praise. And you did it probably for months or more than likely years and years and decades and decades. And then the fruits of those labors paid off. You fell in love with the process or whatever reason you stayed humble, you stayed hungry and you kept working. And so I wanted to share that just because it's, um, if nothing else, maybe you find it motivational, but I, I did think that was pretty badass. And, uh, it's a rarity these days when you get people, you know, people talk a lot of shit on the internet and they say a lot of things and, uh, their actions don't map to their words. And I don't think there's anything worse than, you know, people being, you know, super hypercritical uh, of other people and, and telling them what they should do. And yet they don't uh, walk the walk themselves. So on to today's podcast, what actually causes weight gain and what are the biggest obstacles holding all of you guys back? This is complex. It's uh, it's a lot more than just eat less and, uh, and move more. That's a, a huge blanket over simplification for people. Now for some individuals, that's probably okay advice. But for a lot of other people, that's not just the answer. There is hundreds of things layered in there. And each of us is individually different. I do believe that's why nutrition is so hard because each one of us is going to react different to a different lifestyle of eating, to a different dieting protocol, to a different nutrition plan. It's going to be across the board. That's what makes it so complex. What I would say is, for a lot of people, what causes their downfall? Less than ideal daily habits compounded over time that have become ingrained into their daily life. And then you mix that with cravings, uh, self-control or lack thereof, and kind of this all-or-nothing mentality, and you do that repeatedly over days and weeks and months and years, and you end up where you end up. And it's tough because we don't teach these things in school. They're not drilled into your head, and odds are if you were my age or a little bit younger or a little bit older, your parents are not you know, super educated on nutrition and what it should look like. And their parents weren't. And it's this, you know, kind of generational gap that we've never filled. And sadly, the information now is out there, but a lot of people are not taking advantage of it. And honestly, there's a, it needs to be more like a garden hose of inf- of proper, I guess I should put it that way, proper information coming out. And it's more like a, like a fire hydrant exploded and that's what's pouring out and it's really hard to sift through the shit and then you add in things like food addiction for a lot of people which is really tough to deal with and when I say food addiction it's not exactly the same as you know drug addiction and alcohol addiction each one has their own complex issue and some of you guys are familiar with like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh Alcoholics Anonymous, I can't even talk today, uh, which is the 12 steps, right? And if you guys are not familiar, the quick breakdown, um, this is my Cliff's Notes. If you guys have dealt with people who um, have abused drugs uh, or alcohol, it's a lot um, to commit to really changing an addiction. If you look at uh, like AA, for example, 
a newcomer, you know, would attend like 90 meetings in 90 days. And that, that seems like a ton, obviously. Um, but most 12 step programs, including those that deal with, you know, just drugs, they encourage the members to commit to those 90 meetings in 90 days. Like it's, it's that immersive. And if you go through the 12 steps, if we're talking like true addiction, right, in terms of how AA does it, then the first one is people admitting that they're powerless over alcohol and that their lives have become unmanageable. And if you go down the list, I think it's around number 10 or so, they have people take these personal inventories um, and they have to really be willing to admit like there's a problem. Does that make sense? Like they, they really have to understand like, Hey, I have a problem. Um, I don't have control over this. It's, it's not manageable. And then you have to be willing to kind of audit and self-identify because addiction is a, is a complex issue and it's really difficult uh, for people to overcome. If you guys have ever, you know, dealt with anybody, had anybody in your life. And when you become addicted to something, you lose your freedom of choice and your, you know, I guess biochemistry and these thoughts in your brain start kind of calling the shots. Like that's what starts to happen. And you don't have to drink alcohol to survive. You don't have to do cocaine or heroin to survive. But you have to eat to live. At some point, even if you fast, you're going to get hungry enough to where you have to put food in your body. And that's where it gets difficult. So all these things start to run up uh, into your life. Things like late night snacking, booze, time management, accountability. All these things popped up on the list uh, when you guys popped in here. And if I try to go down the list and click one by one to see how we could alleviate each one. Let's go down from late night snacking and through. And then I'm going to get to uh, a lot of the questions that you guys have thrown in. If you're a person who's awesome all day and late night snacking is your Achilles heel, if you will, what I would say is first, this is going to seem overly simplistic. Don't keep shit in your house. You just can't. You, you have, if you're awesome all day and then it gets to the end of the day and you start having cravings, and filling your face full of nonsense, you just have to create an environment where that stuff doesn't exist. So if you can't break the pattern of binging late at night right away, at least there isn't garbage to put in your body. So if you're overeating on turkey or chicken or asparagus, so be it. Those those don't tend to be things that people you know go for late at night. What I would say is if you can replace a habit that you're currently doing with a new habit. So if you find something that you're doing physically that you tend to snack and drink doing, if you can replace that. And the only example I can think of personally in my brain, if you're a person who sits on the couch and you're watching Netflix, you're watching a movie, you're by the fire and you always drink wine, you always have whiskey, you always have beer, you always eat shit. I'm not saying you can never do it, but maybe pick your spots of the days that you do do it. Or can you replace that, you know, booze with something else? Replacing water with wine obviously doesn't sound super sexy, 
but you have to start working on ways to mitigate the overall damage we're doing. I'm not saying completely punt it, but if you can swap it. When I was a younger man and a young boy uh, addicted to chewing tobacco, like literally got to the point where I was probably chewing a tin a day uh, or really close to it. And uh, you guys, if you are familiar with chewing tobacco, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say this. Your mouth gets so raw and so worn down in your bottom lip, you start to put a dip in your upper lip. And that's addiction. Um, you're, it's almost like you can't control it and it's unmanageable where you start to ramp up your behaviors and you're doing these things that you know are not healthy. You know they're wrong, but you continue to do them anyway because you're chasing the high, you're chasing the feeling. It's become this synced trait in your life. My pattern would be this. When I first started, it would be I'd have a big meal. I would start to do homework in college, for example, and I'd have a chew. Or I'd be hanging out with some friends and we'd be playing video games. I'd have a chew. Or I would start drinking and as soon as I got, you know, buzzed up enough, I'd have a chew. And it starts to escalate from there. You guys are the same. So what I stopped doing, for one, is, well, every time I play video games, I was chewing my face off. So what I do, I stop playing video games. Was that super fun up front? No. Did it work perfectly right away? No. But that cut down the amount of time I was chewing because I wasn't playing two hours of video games anymore. If you find yourself doing an activity at night, oh, every time we watch our show, I have to have chips, popcorn, cookies, cake. I'm not saying don't watch your show, but maybe you don't have to watch it every single night. Maybe you get up and you go for a walk and you move instead. Maybe you go and do mobility in a different room and you do that while you watch TV. You keep yourself busy by replacing one habit for another. These things have helped me over the years. And eventually, the more you do that, the more wins you stack up, you build confidence in yourself. It's the same thing whether you're a booze person. If you literally drink three, four glasses of wine every single night before you go to sleep, I'm not saying you can't do that. You just can't do it every single day. If it's like shallow and deep end, like when Ashley was on the podcast a week ago, if you're somebody who eats McDonald's, you know, seven nights a week, maybe just go to six shallow end, deep end. You have to set a goal for yourself and it comes down to accountability and whether that's to your wife or to your husband or to your kids or to whoever the fuck it is, it doesn't matter. If you have a coach, a goal, a community, that's obviously great. It's probably the best one. You make a public declaration, you post it somewhere, people will ask you about it. If you are someone who struggles every day, maybe just pull out your calendar and say, hey, on Mondays, I'm going to be perfect. Honestly, the day you're the busiest is probably the easiest day to eat the best. When people are bored, as they say, idle hands are kind of the devil's playground. If you find yourself on your busiest days, try to eat your best those days and start from there and you build on one day to the next day into the next day. But if you write it down, you post it somewhere where you can see it on a calendar, on a post-it or a reminder in your phone. I think if you can do all those things, it's great. That will help. It's, it's baby steps. You're not going to go from eating like complete trash to doing, let's say what I do every day. Because this has been a huge progression for me. It didn't happen overnight. When I, you know, got myself to, you know, honestly 
quit drinking alcohol like an asshole and quit chewing, you know, 10 times a day, every day, I didn't go from that to cold turkey. Now, some people can do that. I watched my old man do it with cigarettes. The dude smoked for 30 some years. And then one day he just said, fuck it. And he was done. Now, I do think there was attempts before that, but there just came a point one day where he was like, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And that's it. And I think that was like, fuck, almost six or seven years ago, which is super impressive. Most of us are not that. I tried to, you know, I'm sure I, I got hammered in college more than, well, obviously way more than once, but like I'd hug the toilet puking, praying to God that I could just feel better. And if I would feel better, I would never drink again. And then it would come to like the next Friday and I would do the same stupid shit. I failed multiple times, but eventually I figured it out. It's the same thing with chewing. I'm like, well, I'm going to quit completely. And then I would fail and I would be back doing it. And they'd say, well, I'm only going to have, you know, two a day or three a day and then down to one a day and then maybe every other day. So you have to keep challenging yourself and trying to fix the cycle that you're in. And it might take 10 different things. I'm just trying to give you guys options out there if you're listening, because I know the struggle. If you're somebody who, if it's booze, if it's wine, whiskey, cookies, cakes, salty, sweet, whatever your thing is, you have to work on slowly changing the patterns, picking your spots, and then reverse engineering it from there. And I do think the prepping, and the planning and accountability is key for a lot of people. It really is. I do find for a lot of the folks we work with, if it's social settings and they like to be social, those should be the times you enjoy it. I call it suffering in silence. And that's probably a terrible way to sell it. Most of the names I make up are awful, by the way. Like when we introduce our Sunday Advanced Metcons, I'm like, welcome to another terrible Sunday Advanced Metcon. Like who would want to buy something that says terrible or awful? But you guys are kind of psychopathic. Uh, is that a word? Psychopathic? Like psychopathic? A masochistic, if you will. Uh, so you kind of like the pain just like I do. But the suffering and silence I'm referring to is if you're going to go out to a party, if you're going to go out with pizza with your friends, if you're going to go out uh, and have drinks and just get lit up and be out at 2 a.m. eating, you know, chili fries or going through a Taco Bell drive through whatever kids do these days when it's late and they're shit-faced, which is what I did as a kid. You have to suffer in silence, meaning you can't do that on Monday. You can't do that on Tuesday. You can't do that on Wednesday or Thursday. You have to be willing to delay gratification for that day so it fits into your goals. It fits into your lifestyle and what you really want to get out of it. If you're somebody who wants to indulge in those settings, you got to really own it at home. If you don't care about those things, you can pick and choose your spots. But what you should do, like anything else important in life, if you schedule it, it matters and it's important. If you don't schedule it and you don't make time for it, it's probably never going to happen. And it's just, it's just a thought or it's just a wish. It's not really a goal. Being mindful of your time is key. Now, this will be for all my, my time management people too. If you have a, a bunch of kids and you're struggling uh, to find time to work out, I don't have a, an answer for that. I, I don't. I've seen it here with parents. It's, a, it's a really a co-parenting thing. It really has been. The, the parents that I see here that are most successful, 
they tend to like they shift. They they like work in shifts basically. Where one parent will just eat it while the other parent gets a 30 minute workout. One will drive here, one will go home, one will drop the kid off, one will stay with the kid, and they flip flop. You have to have like a team around you. You really do, because it's tough. I've like Monica works here with me. She has three kids. You guys probably see Kobe on my Instagram. This kid is he's awesome, but he's a psychopath. He really is. He's great when he's great, and then all of a sudden uh, this switch turns, and it's like he becomes Chucky. Literally, now I think he's going to kill me. Uh, and it's almost impossible for her to get stuff done when this kid is awake. And if there was no one here to kind of watch him and her run around, it makes the workouts damn near impossible. So I feel for you. I don't have a perfect answer. But in terms of time management and you guys, you know, looking to be social and looking to have treats and sweets and these things, if you look at your week, you really got to map it out, man. You got to be diligent with it. I know this is going to sound uh, very military-like and very regimented, but I promise you there is so much freedom in the discipline. There is so much freedom in you guys having a plan mapped out. Now, is it going to be perfect? No. Are you going to have to shift it? Yes. Are things going to change? Yes. But at least you have a general idea and an outline of what the week looks like. So on Sunday, you kind of look at the scope of your week and say, okay, is there any parties we have to go to? Is there any social events? Is there any business lunches, any business dinners? How many days this week can I get workouts in? Or where do I think I can fit them in? How many days this week are we going to be cooking meals at home? How many meals are we going to be going out? And not that you have to like plan every meal and prep for seven days, but you should have a general idea. Hey, on Monday, I'm going to eat three times. And I'm probably going to eat X, Y, and Z. Here's how it's going to be. If I'm going to have treats and stuff, here's the days I'm going to have them. On the same note with those things, with, with the cravings, buy single serving stuff if you can't handle it. You got to know yourself, man. If you know you're going to you know, go crazy on cookies, don't buy bags and boxes of cookies. Buy a two-pack. Buy the single serving stuff if you can. It really does help. And if that means you going to the grocery store multiple days a week to pick up stuff, so be it. You're giving up time to create an environment at home that's going to make you more successful in terms of your eating. And it's tough to do because what I've found is if it's there and mentally you're not a place where you can say no to yourself, you're going to eat it. You, you just will. And if you get to the point where you're so hangry and hungry, all bets are off, man. I mean, you probably want to you know, bite one of your kid's hands off uh, if it came to that. And then all of a sudden you reach your hand in for some goldfish or some Teddy grams and you just start going to town and it's tough, dude. Cause once it starts, it's kind of like an avalanche and we'll talk about the all or nothing mentality in a second, but you have to really map it out and at least have a plan. And even if you fail and it doesn't go perfect, you can audit, you can revise that plan. You can keep making changes each week as you move forward. You really can. But if you don't write anything down, if you don't mentally or physically kind of map out what the week's going to look like, it's going to go to shit, dude. Like, you really have to be diligent about that. I, I can't say that enough. And I know it's tough for you guys out there where it's you got a family and your partner. Um, if they're not on board, if they're not, you know, want to cooking the same meals you want to cook, they don't want to eat the same way you want to do. You you can't convince them. And I'm not telling you to do that. But you just have to be willing to break the mold. And 
that's going to be a fight you're probably going to have to to have and you're probably going to have to win it you just are uh i'm married i know how it goes i um most things i don't care about and uh some things i do um i'll lose a lot of little battles to win the big ones that's how i do i'm very strategic like sun tzu like art of war here uh because i know i know the ones that matter to me luckily my wife is is on board and you know eats uh in terms of healthy, very similar to how I eat, so it's not an issue. But for you guys out there, if you're battling that, it's tough. You, that's a, a fight you're going to have to have, and you're probably going to have to die on that sword. And you'll all be the better for it, most definitely. But at first, it's just you talking through why you want to do it, why it matters, and then mapping out a plan and having that discussion. If we move down the list here, uh, for people, the biggest reasons you guys struggle or maybe binge uh the boredom thing i know it is a lot that's why that came up a handful of times here people wrote boredom and when they're bored they tend again idle hands are the devil's playground they tend to snack and eat and bullshit more you have to replace that activity with something else like i said if it's not just netflix and eat popcorn if it's netflix and mobility that's huge and i know a lot of people listening will say I sound like a crazy person when I say that. Well, Jeremy, you want me to do mobility at my house? Yeah, I do. You'll be better off for it. When when the hell else are you going to do it? You can never do enough, honestly. And if that keeps you from eating garbage, is it not worth it? Go for a walk, a digestion walk. Well, Jeremy, I live in Wisconsin. Super cool, dude. Move. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of warm places. I'm not saying it to be a dick. But if you're not willing to bundle up and, you know, deal with it, get in a treadmill, get in a bike, walk around your house, be a weirdo. I don't really care. You have to be willing to replace that activity with something else. Because if you're bored, you're quote unquote, you get hungry way faster than if you're busy. You know, you can swap it for a hobby. I don't care. It doesn't have to be physical, but you can't keep doing what you've always done and expect different results. I believe that's pretty close to the definition of insanity. It really is. Now, if I go on the list here, somebody put anxiety um, of the gym as one of the things that uh, holds them back. And that's a tough one. Um, what I would say is if you're not willing to invest in a dope home gym, we did a podcast on how you can build an awesome one for less than a thousand bucks. Now, if that's not in your budget, you don't have the space or you live in an apartment or you just don't want to do that. What I would suggest is look around your area for all the gyms and reach out to them. Contact them. I'm pretty sure they have like a, a front end offer, some kind of FEO you guys can take advantage of. And when I say front end offer, I mean a free week trial. Uh, you know, come for do three workouts for free. You get your first consultation and gym session for free. Something that gets you in the door. There is going to be a community out there that you feel comfortable in. That you feel like they're your people. And you guys can vibe and you feel comfortable. Um, I pride myself on here making it as comfortable as we possibly can. To make it not intimidating. To make it chill. To make it relaxed, I think people are going to play off of the owner's mentality. It's played out here. A lot of the people here, whether they uh, believe it or not, are very much like me. 
in a lot of ways, not in every way, but uh, in terms of just how we think and, and feel and, and treat people, we're all kind of on the same wavelength. And what you'll find if you have anxiety going to the gym, there tends to be two main types of people who train. Now, there's a there's another group as well, which I'll touch on in a second. The first group is the people like me, which I would consider the the savages, the people who are no-nonsense people when we train. Now, when I work here, it's different. Uh, but when I'm training myself, I don't notice anybody else. I don't give a shit. I am in full killer mode, and I'm just trying to get done what I got to get done. Even if it's a day where I'm taking it easy, I don't notice anybody else. When we do our Sunday events Metcons here, we play music, but I don't. I couldn't tell you one song that played last Sunday. I have no idea. Until the workout is over, I don't hear anything. Like that's how intense we are. Now we're on, you know, fan bikes and we're running around and we're doing stuff, but I am in it. I don't see what anybody else is doing and I don't care. That's what most people are like in the gym who are serious. They don't notice you. We're not judging you. We don't care you're there. We won't even notice you're next to us in all reality because we are locked in. That's what we do. Then there's the other group of people. The ones probably similar to you if you have anxiety. They're just trying to survive. They're just in the gym trying to just survive their workout. And they're just trying to be there. In our groups, that's most of the people we have. It's the killers and the people trying not to die. That's who are all the people in our facility. We don't have a third group. We have two types. One, they're trying to murder the workout. Two, they're trying to survive the workout. That is it. In a big box setting, you probably have a third group that maybe kind of bullshits and would maybe look at you and maybe judge you and maybe notices what you do. But at the end of the day, who gives a fuck? That, that person has a problem if that's what they're going to the gym and doing. You're there to work. If you want to be social, be social. But there is going to be a place, probably somewhere to the facility we run, which is more boutique style. We got a couple hundred members. Everybody's super chill. It's very much a family setting. Nobody here's an asshole. Nobody judges anybody because if they did, we'd kick them out because I don't need the money. And there's going to be places like that in your community. So if you have anxiety, call around and look for a spot that fits you and who you are. If you want a place where there's a bunch of murderers and it's all just, you know, Metcon this and everyone's trying to die, you can find that. If you want a place that's a little bit more chill, you can find that. If you want a place that's a mix, you're going to find that too. But don't let the fear hold you back from going there. Because I'll say this, man, like I, I would miss this if I didn't have it. Now, a lot of my friends think I'm crazy uh, that I still do it, but I'm a fitness person uh, deep down. I didn't get in this to, to get super rich and uh, just run businesses and, and do all this other stuff. It, it just turned into that. Uh, I, I do enjoy the community aspect of it. And there's something about the energy of training with like-minded people. And you don't have to be all the same ability level. It doesn't matter. But it does it does elevate you. And it will make you work harder than you would work on your own. So if that's the thing holding you back, call around and, and find a place that really gives a shit about you. Because they're out there. I promise you that. Another thing on the list you guys wrote, lack of education. Too much misinformation. Um, that is true. There's a lot of people who look pretty good, who are um, completely full of shit, uh, to put it politely. And that's going to happen. 
you just got to sift through the nonsense in that regard. What I would tell you is this. If you're somebody who has this kind of paralysis by analysis, the basics always work. It, it always It's a tried and true. And when I say the basics, basic squatting, basic lunging, basic push-ups, basic pull-ups, basic horizontal pressing, basic vertical pressing, some lateral movement, mobility, aerobic work, eating proteins and vegetables and healthy fats. That's it. We can dress it up and sex it up all we want and give it fancy names, but that's what works, dude. I've been doing the same shit more or less for my whole life. I might do it a little bit better. I might do it with more efficiency, with more strength, with more stability, with better form, uh, with crisper, you know, intervals, but it's the same stuff. And you'll, you're going to find that. And so if something sounds too good to be true in fitness, I can almost promise you it is. If it was so awesome and so revolutionary, we'd all know about it. You have to really think about that when you guys are looking at information and things. And maybe you just didn't hear about it and you didn't know that, uh, you know, things like probiotics are amazing or greens are amazing or split squatting is awesome compared to different other variations. But for the most part, you guys probably know. In life, we know things are amazing. Like everybody listening, just give me a yes. I've heard of that. If you have heard of this, have you heard of beer? Yes. Have you heard of cinnamon rolls? Yes. Have you heard of wine? Yes. Have you heard of Netflix? Yes. Have you heard of having sex? Yes. Have you heard of pizza? Yes. You know why? Because they're awesome. Like, I, I use those really basic examples. Well, Jeremy, I heard this was the next greatest thing. If it was, dude, we'd be waiting in line to get in to get it. We would already be talking about it. It didn't just... Things that are amazing like that don't just trickle down. So if you're looking for the best information, it's the tried and true basic stuff. It's not overcomplicated. It's not super sexy. It's just wash, rinse, repeat of doing the same things. Now, we make workouts here, I think, more fun. We make programs more fun. I try to show you guys, you know, different variations depending on what kind of tools you have. But if you really strip them down, they're all the same things. And that's what's always worked. And it'll be what always works. Next, you guys wrote sleep quality. That's a tough one, man. Um, you got to get into a better pattern. We've done whole uh, podcasts on sleep. I take the dream product from Beam, obviously, to help me sleep. I also have my own routine where I try to wind things down. Um, I try to really just create an environment that helps me relax and clear my mind. I don't sleep with the phone in my room. I actually put my phone in the bathroom when I'm done for the day. And I leave it sit there. And then the alarm goes off in the morning and I can hear it. I have an alarm clock by my nightstand. I turn the, uh, it's one of those cheap ass, like little red light uh, alarm clocks. I turn the numbers away from me so I don't see anything. And I just keep the room nice and cool. We have a little like white noise uh, filter uh, fan on. And I call it a day. And that's it's really worked for me. I try to go to sleep at about the same time. I always wake up at the same time. And uh, it can be tough, especially if you're stressed, your mind is wandering, but you got to make time for it. 
I really do think it's one of the things we overlook. We kind of wear our tiredness in America as a badge of honor, which is more like a badge of stupidity. I've been guilty of it, so I'm not judging anybody. But you need to get quality sleep. And you have to get into a routine. I don't care what you do. The guys who work different shifts, again, I don't have an answer, man. I would feel for you. I think that's terrible. Our nurses here, our doctors here who do it, it's really tough, man, to, to tackle that. And it's really, it's hard. So for you guys, I don't know. You got to talk to somebody much smarter than me. For the rest of you, if you can just try to make it a pattern, all the things I'm saying here are going to come down to how consistently you can do it. If you do it for two days and then not for two weeks, it's not going to do you a whole hell of a lot of good. If you work out really hard for three days and then skip three weeks, it doesn't make that big a difference. On the same note, if you eat like shit, you know, on a Friday night and then you eat awesome the next 20 days, it's not going to make that big a difference. It's the consistency of you guys washing, rinsing, and repeating these, you know, I guess successful habits versus the ones that tear you down. And sleep is the same way. You got to consistently do it over time and find what works for you. Find what makes you fall asleep and what makes you stay asleep and try to get your body into a rhythm. Only you guys can control that. If we're talking about the other things that are holding you guys back, one, I do think bigger portions have become a problem. If you look at probably what your parents did and what your grandparents did, I promise you even the fast foods they were eating uh, did not come in the same sizes. They really didn't. And definitely not the frequency at which they ate them. Like a French fry, you know, at McDonald's when they first started to now, I think there was just one size and now there's, you know, obviously these giant sizes. Same thing for sodas, same thing for burgers, and even the pizzas too, and the different types and variations. And if you look at the bigger portion size, right, like the Department of Agriculture reports that the average American ate almost 20% more calories in the year 2000 than they did in 1983. I'll repeat that again. The average American ate almost 20% more calories in the year 2000 than they did in 1983. Thanks in part to obviously this huge boom in not just meat consumption, but obviously the portion sizes that we use. And today, each American puts away an average of 195 pounds of meat every year, compared to just 138 pounds in 1950. And the consumptions of added fats also shot up around two-thirds over the same period. And grain consumption rose by 45% since 1970. That's probably the biggest jump. So obviously we're eating more, eating more protein. I'm a fan of for sure. Um, more fats depends if they're the healthy kind, which for most Americans they're not. But the fact that we eat 45% more grains than we did in 1970 is huge. And oftentimes that's tied to the portion sizes. We're just eating bigger amounts than we've ever done before. And oddly enough, we're probably sitting on our ass more than we've ever done before. And I think a lot of people confuse, you know, diet for nutrition. And the role of the diet in the U.S. is, it's fucked. I don't know how else you say it. There's obviously an obesity epidemic, and it's major. Uh, but it's also complex. And I'm going to share some stuff here that I pulled uh, from a couple of different sites. Uh, publichealth.org, and then there's obviously uh, endocrineweb.com. These are both great places if you guys want to pull up any of these statistics. But consumers are 
given so many different messages. A lot of you guys listening, again, we talk about the misinformation. On one hand, obviously, there's the larger portion sizes, which are dragging people down. But there's also the huge amount of processed packaged foods that are so calorie dense, but not very nutrient dense. And then you take in things like the drive-throughs that we mentioned. They're fast, they're cheap, they're filling. And for most people, they're delicious. People obviously love these foods. They're engineered to make you crave them uh, and want them. These companies are very smart and they're very good. We've spent $20 billion annually on weight loss and diet books and pills. And then obviously up to the last resort surgeries like, you know, lap bands and liposuctions. $20 billion. We plug into that. And it is it is a fight we are losing day after day after day. A lot of you guys are obviously feeling it. And it's no wonder, you know, people are looking for, you know, fast food and fast weight loss options when we spend so much more time at work than we ever have and so little time in our homes and our kitchens than our parents used to, you know. And so for a lot of people listening, when you're out there, sometimes the only time you have because you haven't planned, you haven't prepped, is to grab pizza or fast food, which in all reality, we've talked about some of the hacks you can do, you know, outside of that. You could run into Whole Foods just as quick. You could run into a grocery store. It might take you three extra minutes, but so be it. That's why I talk about planning and prepping and understanding where you can find time in your day. And I'm not saying give up all escapism or all luxury things, but if you're watching football for five hours on a Sunday, there's a lot of time you could get better there and really audit what's going on. Because obviously, we're gaining weight and obesity is like, you know, if you want to tie that to heart disease, it's becoming a major health threat. And, you know, we can't just say it's it's only self-control. It's become a major issue. You know, your daily meals are like a bank account, right? You got to think of it that way. You take in these calories, which is like your income, and you spend them on physical activity, which is an expense. And when people are consistently taking in more calories than they burn, that is a very positive energy balance. And while that'd be badass for your bank account, it is not good if you guys are trying to be in a deficit looking for weight loss and fat loss. And again, it's not as simple as just addition and subtraction for people. There's a lot of things, you know, that go into play. And the first one I'm going to talk about here as we keep digging into the questions is one, people don't move enough. We just don't. That's, that is a reality for, I would say, other than fitness people, like people who are fit and active, even if you go and you work out a couple times a week, but then do nothing else, like you don't go for walks, you don't go for hikes, you don't ride your bike, you don't do anything, we're not moving enough. Movement is medicine. It really is. That's why I say if you can swap just sitting down watching TV for hours for a walk, for a bike ride, for mobility, that motion creates emotion. It, it really puts you in a different state. It changes your physiology. You know, when you're, I use the example, when you're arguing with your husband or wife, you're never just laying on the couch relaxing. You're not laying in bed next to each other. When you're arguing, you sit up. You move. You get into like your kind of fight stance. It's the same thing with fitness, dude. 
the movement is medicine. Because if you're not moving enough, bad things are going to happen. It really is that. And I'm not saying you got to kill yourself and do a Metcon, but you got to get up and get your body moving through space. Because if you're talking about kids, like a lot of these schools don't even have PE anymore. So students don't get enough physical activity. A lot of the chores, you know, I think, you know, we used to do or kids used to do are now solve with technology or they're, you know, I guess uh, the mechanics of uh, gas power or electricity, it makes life way easier. Technology has made us more sedentary, 100%. It really has. You know, we can talk about, well, we got these watches and these things. I get it, dude. But the overweight and obesity rate is only climbing. So you tell me if it's really helped. You don't get up and change the channel anymore. My God, you, you'd never do that. It's on your phone. It's on a remote control. You don't. Like even kid, like we used to shovel snow. And then eventually my old man got a snowblower. But not when I was a kid. It wasn't until I was a grown-ass man he got one of those. We were out there shoveling snow. That stuff's terrible. And you're doing like a, my grandma had a push lawnmower. You're not riding a John Deere. You're out doing work. That stuff sucked. Now it's way easier. It's way fancier. The point I'm driving at is we don't move as much as we used to. And we have to really identify that. We sit on our ass way more than we ever have. And our butt has become our feet. It really is. It, it just, it, it's a recipe for disaster. We've become this nation of literally couch potatoes. We spend time in front of screens all day, every day, watching TV, being in front of a computer, almost 24-7. And even the stats they have here, kids between 8 and 18 spend 7.5 hours each day engaging in entertainment, TV, computers, cell phones, movies, video games. And about 4.5 hours are devoted to just watching the screen of like YouTube or TV or Netflix or what do you want to insert. Children between the ages of 8 and 18 spend 7.5 hours a day engaged in entertainment media by TV, computers, cell phones, movies, or video games. That's fucking nuts. That is insane to me. Now, I don't want to sound like an old head here and be like, well, in my day, we used to hike to school in 10 inches of snow uphill both ways. No, I'm not talking about that. We would play video games, but it'd be like Duck Hunt, like Mario Brothers, like Contra. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. I think that's still the code. Uh, and we do it for a little bit. But after we rode our bikes everywhere and played basketball, you know, until we couldn't walk anymore or played tackle football or rollerbladed or all the things we did for hours. Like, that's all I did as a kid. I rode my bike everywhere. And I played sports for hours every day. And it was in every sport. I couldn't imagine a world where I sat on a screen for seven and a half, eight hours a day. And that's a huge part of our problem. And if you're an adult, you wake up, you probably get ready for work. If you go to work now or you sit in a computer all day and you're locked in for eight hours straight and then you stare at Netflix and you stare at your phone, it's a lot. We're just not moving enough. You have to make moving a priority. I don't care how you got to do it or how you fit it in. It has to happen before work, during work. After work, you have to, if you wear a little pedometer on the wrist, it doesn't matter. Right now I'm sitting here, it's 440 on a Friday. I have 8,838 steps in. That is the smallest number I've had all week. I'm going to get to probably 12,000 by the end of the day. Most of my days are in the 20,000s. They really are. But I always will get 10 no matter what. Movement is medicine. 
We cannot let inactivity be the new normal for everybody because a lack of exercise is a huge culprit for a lot of people. It really is. Only probably 20% of the jobs today require any kind of moderate to physical activity as opposed to at least half the jobs in the 1960s. So on average, Americans are burning probably one, two, 300 calories less per day than they were 50 years ago, if not more. But we have this higher percentage of food coming in. That cannot happen. There's another stat here I want to read real quick. Americans walk less than people in any other industrialized country. I'm going to repeat that. It's, again, you guys, that's why I always, I, I preach on the walking. Because it's, A, it's the most basic thing you do. And if you couldn't walk, your quality of life would suck so bad. That means you're in a wheelchair, you're in a walker, or you're in a bed and you can't move. Walking is the most badass thing you do every day, and so few Americans do it. The average American, I think per the Mayo Clinic, gets two to 3,000 steps a day, give or take. That is horseshit. If, if you were just to walk 10,000 steps a day and eat how you're eating, you'd be better off if you're only walking two or three. Seven to 8,000 more steps a day every day compounded over the course of a month? 200 to 250,000 more steps a day? You don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the calories you burn, in the activities you're not doing versus what you're going to do? And if you walk that much, I promise you, you're going to start to shuffle. You're going to start to jog. You're going to start to backpedal. you start to run. You might throw in some push-ups, some squats. Again, that motion is going to change your physiology. It changes the behaviors and the activities you do in your day. So let's throw this out there one more time. Americans walk less than any other people in an industrialized country. We prefer to sit in cars, to get around, on buses, wherever it is. At the end of the day, 80% of Americans do not get enough exercise per the CDC. I think that number is drastically underrepresented. I would say 95% of Americans don't get enough exercise per JSF. Per the CDC, it's 80%. You go with whatever one you want. Either way, out of every 10 people you say, eight of them aren't doing enough. And you wonder why we're in the boat we're in. We have to move more. Now, again, I'm not going to preach on the just you can't eat shit and move around. There is other things in play. Genetics do play a role. I'm going to give people that. Hereditary traits are a real thing. Genetics, such as, let's say, Prader-Willi syndrome, for example, is a direct cause of obesity. I'm not going to go into great detail here on that. I don't think a lot of you guys suffer from that. If you do, obviously you already know. You've been to the uh, hospital. You, you've been to treatment. There is things in play I'm not equipped to to give you guys advice on that, but genetic conditions similar to that are real. Also, scientists do believe now that there's a, com a combination between certain genes and behaviors that do trigger obesity. A person's genetic makeup may make him or her more susceptible to obesity, but other factors are required to kind of complete that picture. If your hormones are off, your testosterone, your estrogen, uh, your thyroid, certain disorders like Cushing disease, uh, hyperthyroidism can cause a person to gain weight. 
the medications, the drugs people are on. These are huge ones. There are certain drugs like antidepressants and steroids, diabetes medication. All these are things that can cause weight gain as well. If that is part of your life, you have to look at that and talk to your healthcare professional. You have to give a fuck about your health. You really do. You have to care about it just as much as you care about anything else. Because without it, you have nothing. A lot of parents, you guys are great, you're amazing, but you got to put your mask on first. You really do. Because if you're struggling and you're not healthy and you feel like shit, your husband will notice. Your wife will notice, your kids will notice, and they'll suffer at some point because you're not operating at your best level. You have to take care of yourself and you have to spend the time doing that. You really do. I don't know where everybody's at financially. I don't know where you're at in your life, but for me personally, I would make less money to be healthier. I do. I make less money every year than I possibly could because I'm this fit and this healthy. I will not take calls. I'll not take emails. I'll not take clients. I'll not do certain events. I'll turn down sponsorships. I'll turn down projects that are going to interfere with me being healthy. If that means I make $100,000 less a year or $200,000 less a year, I don't give a shit. And I know I'm not normal. And a lot of people listening are like, well, that's crazy, Jeremy. You can make this much more money. I got enough money, dude. I got enough stuff. I'm okay. It's not worth it to me. It really isn't. Now, I don't, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not telling you what you, you need to do or don't do. But if I found myself not being able to go for a 30-minute walk and do a 30-minute workout each day because of my job, I am not successful. Your job might be successful, but you certainly are not. And that is just my opinion. And so I'm a huge fan of you just really prioritizing the things that matter most to you in your life. That's why I'm saying write these things down. Write a list of the five things that are the most important to you in your life. The five things that matter the most to you. Is that your health? Is it your family? Is it your happiness? Is it your career? Is it your car? Whatever the fuck it is, it doesn't matter. You have to write those things down. And then you have to write down the five things you spend the most time doing. And if your health is number one, but the five things you spend the most time doing, if your health is not in that top five, you have to really prioritize it and get it in there. You don't have to spend 50 hours a week on your fitness like you probably do your job. But you probably got to spend three hours a week on it if it's really the number one most important thing in your life. Moving down the list, the engineer junk foods. These are tough. That's why I always preach real food to you guys. The heavily processed foods are often little or no nutrients in them in all reality. And uh, they're refined and they're mixed with additives. These things are designed to be cheap and last a long time on the shelves and be so incredibly awesome, they are hard to resist. Fill in the blank, whatever you're into, cinnamon rolls, Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, Doritos, who knows? Whatever your thing is, it's out there. And by making these tasty foods as irresistible as possible, these food manufacturers are making money. They do it to increase sales. And increased sales for them means overeating for you. Most processed foods today do not resemble whole foods at all. 
They're highly engineered and they're designed to get you hooked and stay hooked and keep eating more and more and more and more. I've talked about this before in older podcasts. One example, grape soda, orange soda. That shit does not taste like grapes. Orange soda does not taste like oranges. But a lot of people out there, if you grew up in my era or older, you can identify it. If we blindfolded you and gave you a grape soda, you'd be like, oh, that's a grape soda, even though it does not taste anything like grapes. They're not even recognizable of what they're supposed to be. But you've been programmed now to know what those things are. And they're highly addictive. You don't think Doritos knows every... I'm not knocking these companies. They're all amazing. They're great, but they're smart. They know if they give you a bag, you're going to eat 19 chips. You're going to eat 42 chips. You're not going to eat one and put it down. It's not an asparagus spear. You know, it's not a Brussels sprout. That's why I'm saying if you can keep your house full of almost all real foods, you're going to be so much more successful because you self-regulate those things. You self-regulate eating apples in a way you don't with Oreos. You self-regulate yourself eating asparagus in a way you don't with Pop-Tarts. You see where I'm going with this? It's the things that you might like, but they're not going to put you in this crazy position. And if we go down the list for you guys when you're eating, well, what's the problem, Jeremy, with me eating all this shit other than obviously the obvious? Insulin. um, A lot of people with the Western, and again, if we talk about insulin really quick, It's a hormone that regulates energy storage, among other things, obviously, in your body. And one of the functions is to tell your fat cells to store fat, to hold on to fat that they're already carrying, right? And if you're in a calorie deficit, whatever, you're going to be cool. If you're eating like complete shit, it's a different problem. But if you're somebody, and the average person, who is eating the Western diet, like what we all grew up on, it promotes insulin resistance in many ways. And a lot of overweight people and obese individuals obviously feel this. These elevated insulin levels all over the body causes this energy to get stored in fat cells instead of being available for use. When insulin's role in obesity is still controversial, there is studies out there, and I'll cite these guys if you want them, that suggest high insulin levels have a causal role in the development of obesity. And one of the best ways to lower your insulin is to cut back on simple or refined carbohydrates, sugars, and increasing your fiber intake via real food. That usually leads to an automatic reduction in, drumroll please, calorie intake, which leads to effortless weight loss, fat loss, no calorie counting or portion control needed because you're swapping out the engineered garbage refined shit and replacing it with real food bringing down the calorie intake, putting you at a deficit, bringing down the sugars, the world is better. You see where I'm going with this? All the things I'm saying, there's a lot of tactics inside of them, but at the end of the day, if we can eat real food, that is going to be the best medicine you can put in your body mixed with movement. Obviously, there's other things at play. Uh, I've talked about hormones on different podcasts. We've had hormone doctors on. Uh, so obviously insulin resistance, if you guys are eating a lot of processed shit in a surplus all the time and not eating, you know, real food again, carbs, not the enemy carbs are great. They're a great energy source, but there's a difference between eating all your carbs and sour patch kids or eating your carbs in 
asparagus, Brussels sprouts, oatmeal, sweet potatoes, bananas, these types of things. Something you guys might you you might not be familiar with, or maybe you are, leptin resistance. Leptin is a hormone, you guys, that plays a role in obesity. It's produced by fat cells, and the blood levels increase with higher fat mass. For this reason, leptin levels are higher in people with obesity. In healthy people, high leptin levels are linked to reduced appetite. So when working properly, it should tell your brain how high your fat stores are. The problem is that leptin isn't working as it should in many obese people because for some reason it cannot cross that kind of blood-brain barrier versus everything I've read. This condition is called leptin resistance and is believed to be a leading factor in the pathogenesis, if I'm saying that right, of obesity. Again, it's hard when you're already overweight and you're trying to come back. That's the tough part. I visualize this for all of you listening. If you struggle with weight and you have your whole life, you're in a hole, right? Like you're five pounds overweight, uh, 10 pounds overweight, 15 pounds overweight. To me, that's like you dug a hole in the ground and it's a foot deep, two feet deep, and you got to step out of it. Not super crazy, but it's definitely doable. When you are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds overweight, that hole goes from 5 feet, 6 feet, 8 feet, 10 feet. It makes it so much harder to do. Things in your body are not running on all cylinders. They're not moving efficiently, and that becomes a problem. So if you're there, you have to really look yourself in the mirror and start planning and prepping and saying, okay, what I've been doing is not working. I got to start changing some of these things in my life. And you don't got to go all in at once. Shallow and deep end works. But you have to understand that. It's like how the rich get richer, right? When you have a half a million dollars in your retirement account, that thing starts to compound like crazy. When you got $1,000 in there, it doesn't do a whole hell of a lot. When you're super fit and healthy, your body is running efficiently. When you're 100 pounds overweight, it's not running as efficiently. But you have to get started. You have to start moving. You have to do it. Next on the list is the sugar. Uh, for a lot of people, this gets you. Added, I don't want to make sugar is not the enemy. Like people will say sugar is addictive as cocaine. I don't believe that's true. Sugar and fat mixed together, that's where things get uh, dangerous. But sugar is, it, it's tough in the modern diet. It, it's in a lot of things. It's in damn near everything. And that's what gets a lot of people. Sugar changes your hormones um, in abundance when you have it in excess. A little bit is fine. Like having it daily is fine. But you have an overabundance of added sugars into your life via these processed foods. It's going to lead to weight gain. Obviously, the calorie uh, surplus for a lot of people is very dense. And added sugar is half glucose probably and half fructose. And people get glucose from a variety of foods, including starches, but the majority of fructose um, comes from the added sugars. So excess fructose intake may cause insulin resistance, elevated insulin levels, and it also doesn't prompt satiety in the same way that glucose does, per a lot of the studies I've looked at. And so for all that reasons, sugar contributes to increased energy storage and ultimately obesity because you guys, you're craving the sugars and fats, you're eating a bunch of it. It gives you kind of that natural high, that dopamine hit, and you keep coming back to it over and over and over again because it's been engineered to be 
It's, it's been engineered to make that way. It's been engineered to make you want more and crave more. And it doesn't make you satisfied. Like when I eat a banana or when I eat an apple and like some peanut butter, I don't want to keep eating four more apples and, f- you know, four more jars of peanut butter. Well, maybe the peanut butter, uh, but that's just me. But I don't eat three apples in a row. But if I eat giant cinnamon rolls, I will eat every single one that's in the house. I mean, I will murder them like instantly. It's that I'm not satisfied. I keep wanting more and more and more and more. There's no nutrients in it. There's no fiber in it. I don't find it filling for some reason. And that's a lot of people's issue as well. Again, coming back to eating real food. Uh, If we touch on booze really fast, I'm not saying don't drink alcohol. We've done a podcast on this uh, numerous times already. But if you're drinking and you don't feel well the next day, you're probably less likely to exercise and crush a workout. Problem one with the booze. Two, alcohol can change the way your body um, actually processes things. We've talked about this before, like how it burns fat. So when you drink, your body is basically only focused on breaking down the alcohol rather than burning fat. Also, instead of burning fat, your body is, you know, basically trying to just burn the calories from the alcohol so it takes you guys longer to obviously lose weight basically once the system is saturated with booze it's going to take precedence in the body so meaning like you're you're you've had your drinks and there's three hours where your body's not burning fat it's really not doing anything other than trying to process the alcohol and burn the alcohol calories off but it's not doing everything else which in a single day is not a problem that's why we always say in moderation it's fine however if you guys are doing that five, six nights a week, and your body can't burn fat for 15, 16, 18, 20 hours, compile that over the course of a year, you got an issue. How are you going to be super lean when your body's not burning fat for weeks at a time? Compound that over a course of a decade, there you go. Also, booze can lower your testosterone levels in your body, the hormone which affects weight loss and obviously gaining lean muscle mass. And not only does alcohol lower your inhibitions, but when that happens, the food choices tend to get really gnarly. It's why when you go to Taco Bell at 2 a.m., you make terrible choices because you're shit-faced. And I've not met a lot of people who get hammered drunk and then come home and, you know, cook up some some eggs and uh, spinach. It doesn't seem to be the uh, the go-to uh, drunk or hangover recipe. Just spitballing here. So those are a handful of things that you guys threw out there. What I would say you should focus on. One, you got to have goals. You really do. You got to write them down. You got to make them matter to you. They have to pull you out of bed. So you don't always have to push yourself towards your goals. We talk a lot about pushing yourself, which is true. But when something is your North Star, when something is really important to your life, it's going to pull you towards it. You're going to have a sense of urgency, even though you're having patience towards the goal, you have a sense of urgency to get up every day and work towards it. And a lot of people just don't have a goal. They don't have accountability and they don't have a coach. So it's hard to be successful. Even the best athletes struggle when they don't have that. But you have to have a goal. And those goals are going to change during certain seasons of your life. You got to be realistic. Do you just have a kid? You know? Are you, do you have two kids? You got three kids. They got sports running around. Maybe this is not the time to train for an Ironman, but there's a lot of other things you can train for. 
there's a lot of other goals you can have. And right now, if you're not doing any workouts a week, your goal might be to get two good workouts per week, 60 minutes total, three 20-minute workouts, two 30-minute workouts, whatever it may be, but you have to set a goal. You got to write it down. You got to place it somewhere, make a public declaration so you can't back out of it because you'd be too embarrassed because people would know you didn't do it. Sometimes that... uh, that public scrutiny um, from friends and family does help. But you have to have a goal. That's what you have to focus on. And you have to have a carrot, man. We all do. Um, I'm a fan of, of having goals and having those things out there to chase and write it down and be part of a group. I, mean, I can't say it enough, man. Whether it's online or in person, like they work. They just do. They have been, been shown to, to work over and over and over again. We're all more successful with an awesome group of people around us. The other thing... You have to make these things lifestyle focused. You really do. You can't focus on just the quick fixes and you can't put a bandaid on a gunshot wound over and over again. You got to focus on things that are going to fit your lifestyle. Whatever season of life you're in and what you're moving into, it's got to work. You got to pick your spots where you're going to eat shit. You got to pick your spots when you're going to eat well. You got to, you know, figure out the days you can crush the workouts and the days you can just get something done. You got to set boundaries for yourself. You can't say yes to everything. Every every event, every party, every social setting is not your past to eat and drink shit. You, you got to come to grips with that. You got to be mindful of the choices you make. You got to be mindful of the things you indulge in. You have to travel with a purpose. You got to pack and prep certain things when you hit the road to put yourself in a position to be successful. You got to manage this like everything else in your life. You really do. And a lot of people think they can just kind of wander into being super healthy and fit. It doesn't happen that way. The same way you don't wander into being super rich and super successful at anything. It takes mindful decisions and diligence and effort and consistent effort day after day after day. And for all of you, the base matters. The base of what you do, the basic movements, getting your steps in, doing squats, doing push-ups, doing lunges, doing pull-ups, Eating real food, probably tracking macros, getting proper sleep, doing mobility, legit self-care, that will never change. That has to be the base of what you do, and you have to make some time for it each day, at least a little bit. I'm not saying you have to do all things all day, but they have to squeeze in there. And before I jump into the real quick uh, questions, uh you got to change your daily patterns. We've talked about this already. You have to think about your entire day from the time you wake up, from the time you go to sleep. Is there anything you're doing that's not productive in your life? Is there anything you're doing that is a waste of time? What are the things you can eliminate? What are the things you can cut down on? What are the things you can do more of? What are the things you can do less of? Where are there blocks of time you can steal for yourself to be healthy? I promise you they're there. There really are. What's your screen time at? How long do you spend scrolling on social media per day? How much time do you spend on activities that don't need to have that much time? Again, I'm not judging how you have to do your work day or how you fit things in, but I know it's tough, but man... These people have sometimes like these, hey, we're going to have an hour-long meeting. I'm like, what the fuck are you going to talk about for an hour? We do meetings here for about seven minutes. 
And oftentimes we're multitasking and doing other things while we're on there. Now, obviously, if you don't work for yourself and you work for a different corporation or company, that's going to be tough. But there's going to be pockets where you guys can kind of, you know, success hack your way to do it. It's going to be perfect. No. Is it going to look fancy? No. But you're going to be able to get it done. Uh, I promise you that. It's just you might have to, I don't know, kind of potluck style it or kind of, you know, hodgepodge your day to get your workout in, but it can be done. Even if it's doing 10 minutes of push-ups here and 10 of something over here, it's totally cool. That can be done. But you have to make it a priority. You truly do. Super quick, uh, if we try to go down these questions here, what is my, this is ant underscore mags. What is your current height, weight, and macro target? Do you fast? One, I've done 10 podcasts on fasting. Yes, I've been fasting for probably the better part of 10, 11 years. I am six foot two. I am 210-ish plus pounds. I don't know my macro targets, really. I just eat to feel good at this point, but my protein is definitely probably close to 200 plus grams. And my fats are probably close to 100 grams. And some days my carbs are low. And some days they're off the charts. Just depends what I do. But I tracked it with pen and paper for five or six years before my fitness pal. So I got the hang of it. Next one. Being 25, it's difficult to say no to long nights of drinking every weekend. Any tips? <sighs> yeah, be 38. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. This is Seth uh, Jose Perro is the question. You know, you got to pick your spots, dude. Some nights you're going to go out and get shit-faced and you're going to pay for it. Uh, and if you do, wake your ass up the next day, drink a bunch of water, move around. You got a hangover. Nobody cares. You earned it. You're an idiot. And uh, over time, dude, you're going to make better decisions. And uh, it just comes down to how, how fit you want to be and how healthy you want to be. It's, uh, it's give and take, man, in this world. Everything is. You know, if you want to make a million dollars a year, you're going to have to work a lot. And you're going to have to take on a lot of stress. And you're going to have to be really skilled at what you do. If you want to make $50,000 a year, you don't got to be as stressed. And you don't got to take on that much responsibility. Same thing with fitness, man. If you want to be super fit and healthy and perform, you're going to have to sacrifice and dedicate a lot. And uh, if you don't want to be that fit, then you don't have to. And you have to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? And at some point, you'll be out at the bar like me, and you'll be taking shots of mind erasers at 1 o'clock in the morning, and you'll take one, and you'll go, this is really dumb. I don't need to be doing this. And then it'll be the last time you do it. And uh, I probably did it at, yeah, probably 20, 26 or 7. So you're, you're getting close. Uh, that's what I can say. Next one, best tips to limit the booze. Uh, don't drink at home or, you know, only buy small amounts of alcohol to have. So you'd physically have to go out to the store and get it really pick and plan your spots and ask yourself, how many days a year do I want to drink alcohol? And how many days a year do I not want to drink? Do I want to have 30 days of drinking a year? Do I want to have 300? Only you guys can decide. And uh, it's up to you. Uh, if you're a person who can do it in moderation, respect. If you're a person who has a tough time stopping once you start, you got to set some boundaries in there. You really do. And, uh, and make it worth it when you do it. I tend to do it socially, and that tends to be worth it for me when I do do it. Uh, I'm not a person who would ever drink booze alone. It's just, uh, it's just not my thing. Next one. 
Can you truly lose fat without losing any muscle mass? Um, if you're going to lose fat, you're going to lose some muscle along the way. Just part of the game. It's uh, it's going to happen for sure. Uh, you just got to be okay with it. Uh, but again, if you're really trying to be ripped, I don't think you're going to notice uh, that much for sure. I definitely think uh, it's worth losing a little bit of muscle tissue to be shredded. Just my opinion. Next one. A few tips for getting rid of the last layer of belly fat under 9%. Um, this is Tez underscore bro. Uh, we did a podcast called The Cost of Getting Lean. I would highly suggest listening to that. And then you can figure out if the juice is worth the squeeze for you. Because once you're under uh, 10% in single digits, uh, you're going to have to make some sacrifices, man. Things are going to level up real quick. And uh, it might not be worth it for you to be any leaner. You might have to give up too much. And uh, give that podcast a listen, and I think it, it'll help. It's called The Cost of Getting Lean. And uh, it's, it's a good one. Next. Uh, this is fitness for life Vancouver, Jeremy, best macros based on your body type, mesomorph, endomorph. We did a podcast on this a, a while back. I can't remember what the exact name is. It might be eating for body type. It was in the last three months for sure. So if you want to give that a shout, that actually might be a good reference for there. It, it doesn't make a huge difference, but there are obviously differences between people who are naturally bigger, who put on more muscle, and people who are naturally leaner. Next list, Matt underscore Medlow. How often do you adjust macros while trying to get bigger while staying lean? It depends how quick you want to get big and how lean you want to be, really. Most people, if you're at a surplus of calories, something like three to 500 calories per day, at a at a surplus, you're probably in a good uh, good range there. If you find that you've slowed and you're not getting any bigger over the course of say two weeks, up the calories another 300. See if that works for a week. If not, tack on another 500 per day and uh, see how it goes from there. So it's a surplus of you know 2,000 to you know 3,500 calories per week. That should do it for most people, and it's not going to add size super quick, but it should be enough to make sure you're you're gaining weight, but not looking like a, you know, state puff marshmallow man. Next on the list, what should your overall macro intake look like if you're trying to gain muscle? Um, this is Jose World 999. We have a free macro guide if you guys want it. You can download it. You got to be in a surplus, uh, Jose, for sure. And it just depends. So you got to figure out your baseline, track your macros for, you know, 10 days or so, see where you're at, uh, see what you weigh, add on uh, a couple calories from that if you have not been gaining weight. So again, the same kind of 300 to 500 calories extra per day. See if that does a trick over 10 days. If not, bump the calories up and you're good to go. And the macros are going to be dispersed in there. Maybe your body weight times 13 uh, to give you the calorie total. And then you can break down the proteins and carbs and fats uh, inside there. The guide walks you through it. It's uh, pretty simple and it's 100% for free. Next on the list, hey Jeremy, so is it a big deal to have carbs with your protein when breaking a fast and fat too? Uh, Jed underscore AB underscore drums. No, it does not matter how you break your fast. If you want to do all protein and a little bit of fat, cool. If you want to do a mix because it's a meal, that's fine too. It's whatever your macro ranges are, but you don't necessarily have to have carbs or fats. I would say protein mixed with one of those, if not both of those. Next one, Bethridge 10. 
Opinions on install and magnesium supplementation. I will let Heather talk about this hopefully in the next podcast. Uh, she does take a magnesium supplement uh, before she goes to sleep, I believe for sleep, and I also believe for uh, digestion and regularity, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't want to speak for her. I will let her talk about that because she has researched it much more than I have. Next on the list, TR Gill 23. How do you stay full while eating healthy and also should or shouldn't I eat breakfast? How do you stay full while eating healthy? Um, eat a lot of food. Uh, satiety and satiation is not tied to meal frequency. It's tied to meal size. So if you eat a bigger meal at once, you will be fuller for longer. Example, Thanksgiving. Uh, if you eat real foods, it's dense, man. Like it's, there's, it's, the volume is dense, but the calories not might not be dense. If you ate a ton of asparagus, a ton of chicken, a ton of cauliflower rice, that's gonna you're gonna be full for a long time. That's a lot of stomach volume. Even though the calories might not be high, like I eat a piece of cheesecake, it'd be ten times that calories of asparagus, chicken, and cauliflower rice, but I'm still hungry. But if you eat all that stuff, a thousand calories goes a long way where a thousand calories of cheesecake doesn't take you very far. So that's the first one. Have a bigger bigger size meal. And if you throw in some healthy fats in there, that's going to help with satiety and satiation as well. And should you eat breakfast? It's up to you. doesn't matter if you, you do or not. Do what makes you feel best. It's not the most important meal of the day. It's just another meal. Um, and any time you eat is breaking the fast. So technically, the first meal you eat is breakfast. Boom. Next one, last meal of the day. Eat it before or after your workout. I eat my last meal of the day after my workout always. I think you guys should probably do the same. Even if you work out super late at night, even if it's just like liquid, like a Koya or like a protein shake with a little bit of uh, carbohydrates in there, I think it's probably good for you, help with recovery. And, uh, you know, I hate being hungry in bed. I hate laying in bed being starving. I remember the days of like competing and just being like hungry as shit when I went to sleep and it was just miserable. So I told myself I'd never do that again, and I don't. Next on the list, uh, J. Sloan 8.5. Is there a healthier way to drink booze? What about organic seltzers? Um, I'm going don't, to – I don't know what an organic seltzer is. Is that like Truly's and like – what is the other one? Truly uh, White Claws. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, the great Ron Swanson here. Clear alcohol is for rich women on diets. That's a joke, everybody. Don't get super offended. Uh, I don't drink organic seltzers. I'm a dude from the Midwest, so I drink whiskey and I drink beer. Uh, that's about it. So um, I'm probably a terrible example. The healthier way to drink alcohol, honestly, um, just drink what you like, dude. And uh, obviously do it in moderation. Don't go overboard. Obviously, I think some of these lower-calorie drinks are you know, they're less calories than the other booze, but at the end of the day, I don't think it makes a whole hell of a lot of difference. Obviously, if you're, you're drinking a giant sugary margarita versus like a, a shot of whiskey, obviously over time, that's going to compound and that sugar and the calories are going to add up. But for most people, it's the alcohol is the problem, not the calories, unless you're drinking a ton of volume. So for me, if you're going to do it, eat healthy that day, drink a ton of water, have your drinks, wake up the next day, drink water, be active, and you're going to be okay. And obviously, you guys know, drinking a, a light beer 
is if you drink 10 of them is going to be way less calories than drinking 10 beers of, you know, diesel, like Bud, Bud Weiser, Bud Heavy, if you will. Um, but that's to me, I would rather have you drink what you like and just do it in moderation. So that way you actually enjoy it as opposed to drinking some, you know, bottom of the barrel shit just to get a buzz. I, to me, that's a, a different issue altogether. Next question. I'm, uh, this is Mike VFMK. I'm gaining strength and adding muscle, but still having an issue with fat loss. Any tips? Well, Mike, if you are gaining weight and muscle, you're going to, uh, you're going to gain fat. There's no, you can't do both at the same time. It's impossible. Um, if you gain muscle and gain weight, you're going to gain fat. Just the reality. Even the guys in the best drugs in the world, that's what happens. So if you're doing it naturally, which I assume you are, this is going to be just a, a battle you're going to have to fight. It's just how much fat do you have to gain? How little fat can you gain along the way? Being a slight calorie surplus, you know, get jacked. And then when you want to be shredded, obviously you go back into a deficit. But it's just going to happen. There's no, there's no way around it. There's nothing you can... There's nothing you can do. I, I lived it before. The heaviest I've ever been in my life is 237 pounds. I have pictures if you guys want to see them. I look like a giant uh, moon face uh, with a tank top and like a t-shirt on and a pump. I look super jacked, but with the shirt off, to me, uh, I look just kind of like kind of soft. Like have like watery abs, but uh, not not the the version of the person you guys have seen the last you know probably seven years or so. But uh, it's just part of the game, man. And I uh, I didn't feel good at that weight. It's too big for me. Uh, I didn't move as well. Uh, I didn't, like hiking and things were not as fun. It's just a lot of load to carry around. I got small joints. I got, you know, ankles and wrists of a, a seventh grade girl. So to be how, almost 240 bills, it's, uh, it's a lot, dude. I was eating a ton, a lot of digestive stress. It wasn't worth it for me. I've talked about this before. So, uh if you're gaining muscle and gaining size, you're going to gain fat. Anybody who tells you otherwise, just they're full of shit. Uh, last, is this the last question here? I think so. This is a long one. Um, this is Scott Andrew GMP here. He has a bunch of questions up in here. I'm going to try to go quick. Do I fast? You know, honestly, Scott, it doesn't matter um, if you want to fast or not. For some people, it's great. For some people, it's not. Um, he's, he's saying if he fasts that he eats too little and his metabolism will slow, causing the opposite of fat loss. If I eat too much, it's just too much. Is fasting even something I should do? Do I eat whenever I'm hungry? <laughs> should I be hungry a little to get lean? Um, here's my take, Scott. If you don't track macros, I would suggest at least getting started and doing it. Well, number one, make sure you're eating mostly real food. That's the key. So limit the sweets, the sugars, the treats, the salty stuff. Uh, limit the alcohol, obviously. And then eat mostly real food. Pick how many meals you're going to eat per day. If it's two meals, three meals, four meals, whatever you want to do, doesn't matter. Uh, if you fast or not, that's your call. If it works with your lifestyle, do it. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. If anything else, try it. Try it for 10, 14 days. See what works. Eat all your meals from 11 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. See how that goes. You eat a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner. Eat at 11 o'clock, eat at 3 o'clock, eat at 6 o'clock. See how it goes. And uh, I think if the macros are in proper ranges, you'll be okay. Uh, I don't think you have to worry about your metabolism slowing down. I really don't think that's, that's going to happen. I really just don't see 
um, how that's the case. And are you going to be fasting for four days in a row? No, you're still eating every single day. And if it's mostly real food and you're getting enough protein and enough healthy fats and you're in a deficit, you're going to be okay. I've never met anybody who overate uh, on real food and became super, super obese or ended up looking way worse than they thought they would. Every single person I've worked with in 15 years, the reason that they're not where they want to be is alcohol, it's sugar, it's processed foods, it's chips, it's cookies, it's cakes, it's pizza, it's eating out when they don't know how their food was cooked, caked with butter, deep fried, fried, just not a norm, not not just grilled. You, you get what I'm saying here? Every person we see here who struggles with their weight, it's because of the basic things. If you're different out there, message me. I'm happy to talk to you. If you live around here, come on the podcast. We can have a whole conversation. I've just never seen anybody come in and say, Jeremy, the reason why I can't lose weight is because I eat too many greens, man. It's just kale. I just, I love it so much. Or, hey, Jeremy, the reason I can't lose weight is because I eat too many strawberries and too many blueberries. I just, I shove them in my face and it gets me. It's not that. I know I probably didn't answer everybody's question on here perfectly. Uh, and I probably didn't give you a perfect solution, but the, the truth is it's hard because each one of us is different. But what I can promise you is this, all the takeaways. One, if you're eating mostly real food, two, if you're limiting your alcohol intake to not drinking, you know, a shit ton at once and not drinking every single day. Three, if you're getting decent sleep. Four, if you're walking at least 10,000 steps a day, and you're getting a couple legit workouts in at a time. If you're doing all those things consistently, and you're getting blood work done, and they're checking your hormones, and you don't have some crazy, you know, addictive tendencies, and some crazy hormonal issues going on, I think if you do that over time, and not every day, still live your life, have fun, do the drinks, do the things, but for the most part, a majority of the time you're making the right decisions, I think you're going to be okay. We tend to overcomplicate a lot of these things, and for a lot of people, it is complicated, and it is complex, but if you just strip it down and look at what you're doing most days, that is what has led you to where you're at. Obviously, there's outliers. There's a lot of different things that go on with each individual. That's why we do the coaching individually, even in our transformation programs and in our groups. We try to dig into each person and get to know what's going to work best for their personality type, for their lifestyle, for their goals, for their age, hormones, all of those things wrapped up into one. The food stuff really is complex, but we make it more complex than it needs to be. Hopefully that makes sense what I'm saying. It is complex, but we make it more complex than it has to be with all the misinformation and really not just doing the fundamentals, the basics that do work. What I was just anybody listening, identify your problem, pick a path you want to work on that problem with, and then stick to that path for 30 days. If it's something that can be done quicker and you can identify it's not working, at least two weeks. Track the macros, figure out what your baseline is, figure out what foods work with your body, figure out what foods don't work with your body, figure out what things are triggers, figure out what things are really dragging you down, and start a plan of attack working to change those things today. 
having a group, a community, a goal, accountability, a coach is going to go a long way with helping you. Hopefully that gave you guys some answers. I know I talked a lot here. We're on an hour and 40 minutes in. I got to get the hell out of here. I'm starving. It's getting dark out. This video went from like light to black. Uh, I appreciate you guys as always. I appreciate the questions and hopefully I helped. If you think this can help a friend or family member, obviously share it with them, but it's a lot of information. And so hopefully it gave you some, uh, some light or at least an outline of a plan or some things to think about or some things to jump in and, and tackle. Cause it's a lot, man. It's really, it's a complex issue, but you don't have to make it harder than it has to be. Just, uh, keep it simple to start, make your life easier, uh, not harder when you attack it and uh, just move forward from there. So, um, I'll put all the sponsor links in the show notes. If you guys have additional questions, obviously hit me up. We'll do another one of these here, uh, in the future. I'll probably be back on the podcast on Sunday and hopefully you guys got some value out of this. So good luck to you guys. Uh, eat well when it comes to Thanksgiving, eat whatever the hell you want. Be a real person, have fun, enjoy it. I'm going to put out a, our annual rip your face off workout on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'd love for you guys to try it. Do the workout, share it, tag me on Instagram. I think it'll be fun. We'll post the weights we use. We'll post the times we use. Uh, I'll do it here with a group of people probably after our group workout on that day. It'll be super fun, and I'm going to eat my face off probably like I've done every year uh, to the point where I'm you know, a little bit disgusting. I'll be a, a gross American for a day, and uh, it'll be fun. And I'll wake up the next day, and I'll just keep kicking ass. So... Hopefully you guys do the same and you can enjoy it with friends and family, but I'll check in with you Sunday. Again, appreciate you guys for an Apple podcast. Drop it a five-star, leave a comment. I truly would appreciate it. And uh, until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.